Our scripture this morning comes to us from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stops and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child isn't dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the little girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them that no one should know any of this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for this word. God, thank you for stories. God, I pray that you would help us ask the question, what story are we telling ourselves? Oh God, help us to not be ruled by fear, 
but to believe. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I have to confess something before we jump into the sermon, um, that the sermon title really has nothing to do with the sermon today. <laughs> I get, you know, this happens as a pastor. Um, you get an idea and you work through it and I actually had the whole sermon written and then the Lord gives you another idea and it's like, oh, that idea is so much better. I should bring that. <laughs> and um, the sermon title was already out there, Richard Turner. If you all have been paying attention, he's making these wonderful graphics. He put all this work into it. I did not have the heart to change that. So um, if there is a little bit of dissonance, I apologize. We aren't told what has happened to Jairus's 12-year-old daughter. We're only told that she lies ill at the point of death. It's bad, really really bad. It's bad enough that he's asking Jesus to come to him, which is not how healings worked in the first century. Healers were not itinerant. They didn't make any house calls. You came to them. And actually, it was a very profitable enterprise for the economy because the whole family of the healers and then their group of disciples, they would wait outside the homes and they would wait in these rows. And so as people came with people to be healed, what you would have to do is pay a kind of healer's tax just to pass through these rings of people to eventually arrive at the healer. And so it was very profitable, it was normal. This was standard healer's practice and procedure. And everyone knew it. But apparently for Jairus, it was too late to go through all that. And so he has come running like no one else has before him, begging Jesus to come and heal his daughter. He's afraid, yes. And that fear is maybe motivating him. But there's something else. He believes actually that there is still a chance. He knows that she's already so far gone that he won't be able to carry her anywhere and his family is sort of mocking him for coming this far, but he tells himself, Jairus says, the story doesn't have to end this way. If a healer came to see her, her life could go a different way. And he imagines there's still some possibility that she can live. Our imaginations are really important tools. They help us tell and see the stories we have lived or the stories we are currently living. Imaginations can be healthy and holy. They can also be distorted and demonic. I read a book recently by Willie James Jennings, a professor at Yale University, and he talks about the, the power of the imagination, but he says it's a generative power, meaning that it brings things into being. And in this particular book, he's talking about the history of racism and where that imagination comes from. He traces it back about 800 years to the 13th century. And he shows that it all began with an idea, 
that actually sprang forth from the church and from theologians. This imagination that was birthed raised up white bodies and it lowered all of the others just in its rhetoric. This, he says, is a distorted relational imagination. And for Jennings, that imagination has told a certain kind of story over the last 800 years. It helps explain how we got here today, in this moment in American history. All this from a story that at some point we just began telling ourselves. Sometimes, oh, these stories we tell ourselves, they're not as grand and sweeping as Jennings imagines. Sometimes they're personal. Sometimes they happen inside. I can't do it. I should give up. They don't like me. I'm not loved. They hate me. I messed it all up. I should just leave. It's no good. I always make everything worse. I'll never be anyone. I'll never do anything. I'll never be like them. These are stories too. Or they're at least bits of imagination that are caught inside a story that some of us are living. We all do this to some extent. We're all caught up in some story springing from some kind of imagination. Jairus and Jesus passed through the city surrounded by this thronging crowd, Mark says. And they only stopped for a brief moment to marvel at the woman with a 12-year hemorrhage who Jesus calls daughter. They stopped because I think Jesus is surprised by her, definitely by the feeling of some power that just suddenly leaves him. But I think he's pleasantly and greatly surprised too because this woman has such faith. And I wonder if Jesus imagined that something like this could happen or that it would happen. In any case, they stop long enough for Jesus to figure out who touched his robe and once Jesus finds out that it's the woman, he starts to tell her that her faith has healed her and restored her connection with her community. But before he can even finish his sentence and his blessing to her, they get interrupted by a few of Jairus's family members who have come to tell Jairus that his daughter is dead already. It's no use. Everybody at home already knows. They've seen the body and they are all mourning. Mark tells us that they're waiting outside the house, weeping and wailing. The story is over. The end. Let's go home now, they tell Jairus, and leave the teacher alone to his own affairs. I imagine Jairus was speechless with the initial wave of realization smacking him across his face. Must have felt deflated, ready to quit, like a failure, lost, confused, 
And that's why Jesus, barely pausing at all between the family members speaking, turns and tells Jairus, hey, don't be afraid. Only believe. And we know the rest of the story. We read it a second ago. Jesus arrives and makes what I think must have sounded like at the time a really inappropriate joke at a child's funeral. Why make all this commotion and weep, he says, as he passes all of the people that are wailing. The child's not dead, only asleep. And then he tells the little girl to wake up. And she does. And even when everyone around had seen her and could not imagine that she would ever be alive again, even in the midst of that, the end was not really the end. It was just the beginning. Our imagination is where our stories begin collectively and individually. Every now and then, I think we have to try to pause and see the source of our stories, especially because we're telling ourselves some of these stories. And we have to ask, is our tale closed? Is it definite? Is it finished? Is it set in stone? Has the ending already been written? How are we thinking about the future and what's ahead? And if we find that our story is off in some way, if it's reached some sort of conclusion, we have to be willing, I think, to tell a new story. Our country is currently examining the story it has been telling, and some of us are calling for all to say what has been left unsaid since before the founding of this country. And that is that the principle of white supremacy has ruled us more than life, liberty, justice, or love. We're being called to begin retelling our story and to infuse it with some truth, justice, and equity. And you see the resistance, don't you? You see the fights and the protests to critical race theory, the new media boogeyman. You see the backlash to all of this because our stories are very important. The imagination is a powerful tool. We don't always want to tell our stories a different way. We run into resistance. The woman with the 12-year hemorrhage believed that if she just touched Jesus, she would be healed, but she imagined brushing the hem of his robe and finally, finally experiencing this relief. And that's what drove her to push and fight her way through the crowd, just to touch. Jairus believed even though his daughter appeared dead to many around him and even though everyone seemed to think that they had run out of time, he believed even though his daughter appeared dead and he was willing to run and find a healer willing to break all social conventions and come to him to his house. In both of these stories, there is hope, yes, but I'm sure 
they felt afraid too. But that fear did not rule them. It did not write their story. Their belief did. A really small belief, the size of a mustard seed maybe, that began in their imagination as they searched to make a way out of no way. That small seed grew into this, salvation, healing, and connection. It grew into a tale for me and you to listen to and freely learn from. Representative John Lewis, who died, I think it was almost a year ago now, He's famous for walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge with a group of peaceful protesters. They were there drawing attention to the effects of segregation on the country, the effects of racism, in particular voter suppression. On the bridge, what awaited Representative Lewis and the others would appear to be only fear. There were troopers with dogs, gas, guns, fire hoses, And the troopers had the backing of a governor that had almost vowed segregation forever. And still, Representative Lewis had, and still, Representative Lewis and so many others, they didn't see those symbols of fear and intimidation. They saw something else in their midst. They saw through all of that an opportunity a chance for our country to begin to tell a different story, a chance for healing and liberation. They did not fear, they only believed. And as part of their belief and so many others, I think they've helped this country see a new way, even if we are taking quite a while to catch on to it. What story are you telling yourself? Is it a story of fear? I'm not good enough. This will never work. It's already over. We might as well close the doors. I don't belong. What's the point? I'll never make it. We're all lost. This is the end. Or is it a story of hope, of possibility? Maybe there is a way. Maybe if I could only, then maybe we would, maybe God has something else in store. This week I invite you to pay attention to the stories you've been telling yourself and just ask, What kind of story is this? Is it a story rooted in fear? Have you only seen the endings? Or do you believe enough to see the possibilities? Are you willing to see as Jesus leads us on this road that the end is never really the end at all? Just some strange new beginning. Let's pray. Good and loving God, 
Thank you for this time together. And God, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who came before us that believed, that hoped, and were not ruled by fear. God, help us to model our lives after them so that we can become better followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.